All right. Good morning. That, uh, thank you very much, Bertha. Um, that, I think, might be the most, uh, the most orderly I've ever seen a group of kids around a, around a bin of earth, uh, earthworms, a bin of gummy worms. That was uh, impressive. I don't know what it is exactly that was the magic touch there, but that was, that was amazing to see the organization with which that was all handed out. Uh, but thank you for your story. Thank you, Quartet, uh, for the songs that you sung. It's been a, it's been a good morning already. Um, as we get into the sermon, let's uh, open this time up in prayer. God, as we uh, once again dive into Galatians, continue our journey through this book, through this letter of Paul to uh, these churches uh, in the region of Galatia, I pray that, um, yeah, we recognize the, uh, the cultural distance, the time distance, the uh, geographic distance that exists between us and these words, and yet we know that your Holy Spirit uh, is active within us. We know that Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful to us. And so help us to be able uh, to find your truth in these words. Help us to be able to hear your voice through this. May our ears be open. May our hearts be soft. In your name, amen. So we are uh, continuing uh, our way through the book of Galatians. We're uh, on chapter 5 now, chapter 5 of 6. So we've got one more week uh, in this series after this. Uh, but I've really been appreciating this book. Uh, I came to this realization maybe a little bit uh, when, when I started up even as associate pastor. At the point that I started to preach a little bit more regularly um, and, and was in the preaching schedule and kind of got into the rhythm of things a little bit more, uh, I realized what an incredible gift it is uh, to be able to, to be asked to preach through uh, these books, because uh, whenever I do it, it gives me uh, an opportunity to dig deeper into some of the words and the verses and the ideas and, and the themes uh, that, are, that are here, that I've read before, right, that I had some sort of general understanding of. Uh, but now I, 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 uh, you've asked me to take time to intentionally and prayerfully walk through this stuff and then share with you uh, what it is that I'm discovering as I go through uh, these books, the book of Galatians in this case. And for the record, if any of you are feeling like you'd like to get deeper into studying Scripture, if you want a chance uh, to really fall in love with a passage or a book of the Bible, then what I would recommend to you is come to me after the service, and we can talk about getting you on the preaching schedule. Because it's an incredible thing to be able uh, to do this. It's a really good tool uh, to have a reason to jump in and to immerse yourself deeply in the Bible. So chat with me about that, if that's something you're interested in. Uh, and by the way, I genuinely love, uh, one of the things that I love about this church is the variety of people that we have within our congregation who do speak uh, from the pulpit and the, and the openness and the grace that our church has in order to hearing from different voices and different experiences. And so... I am serious that if you're ever interested, if that's something that you're thinking about, then come and talk with me because I'd be very open to that conversation. But every time I, I, I preach through a book uh, of the Bible as we're going through it, I find myself going, I think this might be my favorite book in the Bible. It's almost without fail that this happens to me. I know that I've said it before about other books as we've been going through them. And right now I find myself going, I think think Galatians might be my favorite 
book in the Bible. It's just, it's so direct and it's powerful and it's passionate and it speaks so clearly uh, to the gospel and to the freedom that we are called to in Christ. And I'm enjoying it more and more maybe as we get towards the back half of the letter because the front half starts out pretty aggressive, pretty assertive from Paul, calling the Galatians out for abandoning the gospel, for listening to these false teachers who are coming in and trying to convince them that they need to follow Jewish customs and the law in order to be saved. Uh, And it highlights the division within the early church between leadership on this, between Paul and Peter about this issue. Paul is willing to die on this hill. This is the cornerstone of faith. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he uses some strong language to make that clear. But as we get into chapter 3 and 4 and now into chapter 5, the language starts to become more encouraging, more uplifting. And Paul starts to focus more on the incredible gift that we have been given, what we have been called into. And today we come to one of those deeply familiar passages in Scripture, one of those key memory verse passages. Uh, We're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, uh, I, I think this list that we are given, this principle that we are given, uh, scratches a deep itch within us. I think there is something here that resonates uh, in our souls. This journey of transformation and renewal is something that we all long for. It's, and hear me out here, I think it's a part of the reason that HGTV home renovation shows are so crazy popular. People go crazy for these shows, right? It used to be trading spaces and extreme makeover home edition. Now it's Fixer Upper and Property Brothers and a million other shows. These shows are just insanely popular. They run all day long on TV. Uh, And we don't really watch cable TV much at home anymore, but if we're in a hotel room or sometimes when we're at my parents' place and the TV is on in the background, it's, it's either sports or it's HGTV. I don't know if your house is the same way, but those are the two channels uh, that get turned on. And I don't need to get too philosophical about maybe why these shows are as popular as they are, but I genuinely believe that there is some piece of it here that is our God-given desire to see something or to see someone that has been discarded by the world, that has been neglected and broken, and see it transformed into something magnificent and incredible and beautiful and purposeful. There's something there that I think it scratches in our souls to see these broken things become beautiful. And when we see that, when we watch these shows, uh, we long for it in our own houses, right? It's dangerous. Husbands know this. It is dangerous to watch too many of these shows because what happens is a list begins to form all the things you would like to see change in your own home. Uh, But even deeper than that, at its core, I think it is something that we long for in our own souls. We're a mess, right? I'm a mess. And you're a mess. And we hope against hope that someone or something, and we who are sitting here today, we put our trust in God and we hope that God can take this and turn it into something beautiful and purposeful. 
And what scripture promises, what Jesus promises us, is that that is exactly the journey that God is working in our lives when we step in to gospel relationship, this family relationship that Paul presents for us. In fact, the Bible speaks a lot about this, about the fruit of the Holy Spirit working within us. Matthew 7, 16, uh, Jesus says, you will recognize them, the disciples, by their, by their fruit. Matthew 21, 43, the kingdom of God will be given to a people producing its... Oh, this is going to be real easy. You'll get the answer right every time, I promise you. Fruit. John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much and prove to be my disciples. When God is working in your life, when you are attached to the vine, the external evidence of that will be the fruit that is shown. And Galatians 5.22 is probably the most famous fruit verse in all of Scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, as we get into this, I want to highlight something here. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul puts it here, this first little phrase actually has two very important hints for us, just in this phrase, uh, in how we should be thinking about this. So the first hint is this. Uh, it's fruit, not fruits. It's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and through the list. I remember uh, years ago hearing Darren preach a message. Um, on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It might not have even been a message. It might have been that you were officiating uh, at a wedding somewhere. But I heard you speak to this, and you highlighted something there that hadn't occurred to me before. Uh, and you, you talked about the list that is presented to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this love chapter. Uh, and that list can become overwhelming, right? Love is patient and kind and it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast and it's not proud or rude or self-seeking or easily angered. It doesn't keep record of wrongs or delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. It always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. And you hear that, I hear that, and it produces stress in me. How is it that I could ever do all of those things? But if you read that passage carefully, you don't do those things. Love does those things. That's the character of love. And so our focus is not to make a list of all of these things that we must be doing, but instead to focus on love. And as we focus on love well, these are the fruit that come out of that. It's a group package. It's a bunch of grapes. They're all along uh, for the ride. And here too with this list, with this list of fruit from Galatians, we can be tempted to look at it as a bit of a report card. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Ah, B plus. I'm a pretty loving guy. Joy. Mm, not so great all the time. I'm okay. B minus. Patience. Ugh. Yikes. Maybe a D. I'm not patient. Kindness. Well, I'm a really kind person. A plus there. A plus in kindness. And we sort of work our way through this list trying to figure out which of these things am I good at? Which of these things do I need to improve on? And it becomes this kind of a task list or objective list for us. But that sort of perspective here is setting us up for failure. 
Not that we shouldn't be self-aware or recognize the areas in our life uh, where there's room for improvement, but if we take this list and we start to make it a checklist for ourselves, we've lost the plot. We're falling back into that slavery of religion and rules that Paul has so harshly warned the Galatians away from. The answer is you can't do it. You cannot possibly achieve all of these things. You cannot be all of these things. But God can. And he wants to produce these, to grow these things in your life. One of my favorite songs, Yet Not I But Through Christ In Me. We sang the song today, the quartet picked out, Christ liveth in me. And it's Christ living in me that produces these things, not me by my own strength. And that's the other hint here, right? It's not the fruit of hard work. It's not the fruit of good discipleship. It's not the fruit of regular devotional time. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of God working in you. Before we get any further, we need to make sure that we understand this concept. Because otherwise, if I just go and walk through the fruit of the Spirit and define them and say, this is how a perfect Christian would do these things, what you'll hear, what I would hear, if I haven't internalized this, is at your root, you're bad and you're proud, and the Bible says you need to be more loving and kind. That would be the message that you would take. And then we go home from here with shame. And maybe with a checklist or an action plan or something to try and make ourselves into more kind people. The message here is not do better, be better, live better, try harder. Remember what this is in the middle of. Remember the book that this finds itself in. It is not about what we can do. It is not about becoming a slave to our own self-sufficiency or to religion. It's about understanding the gospel. Salvation equals Jesus plus nothing. The gospel isn't saying, the gospel isn't Jesus saying, I started it, now get to work. The gospel is, it's finished. It's finished. Look to Jesus and his ability to save and sustain and renew you and ultimately to produce fruit in you. He has already accomplished it. The goal here is not for you to leave with a set of action steps for how to be a better person. That could be the theme of Galatians in a nutshell here or preaching in general. The goal is never to leave you with a new set of duties or responsibilities for how it is that you can become a better person or cultivate change in your life, the goal every time, every sermon, every song, every service, is to leave here with worshiping hearts towards the one who can change your life. Paul's desire for the Galatian church is not for them to learn new manners. It's for them to be new creations where we plant our roots deep into the soil of the gospel and the spirit is able to bear fruit in and through you. Amen? I'm not done yet. That may have been a bit of a tricky thing for me to do there. It did feel like that could be the end, but we do have some time left. So, I want to dig into this a little bit more. I actually want to uh, jump back a little bit in this chapter uh, and look at the first verse of chapter 5, which touches on some of the familiar themes that have kind of been running through Galatians. This is chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom... 
that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I read one author, a pastor, describe what we've been set free from. He was kind of walking through Galatians and he described it as an interesting way. He said, Galatians is a book that sets us free from the burden of being our own God. Now that doesn't seem at face value to be a burden that many of us carry. I don't think I've ever sat down with someone who has literally said to me, I believe I'm God. That would actually be a lot simpler. You could just follow them away as a crazy person and kind of move on. But all of us have people in our life and all of us have moments in our own lives where if we're honest, we function this way. Where we behave as though we are God. Where we believe we are our own authority. Where we believe we are in submission only to our own will and no one else's. Now the reason it doesn't work and I don't think this will shock you, I don't think, but I want to be honest with you. The reason it doesn't work is that you would make a horrible God. You'd make a very, very poor God. Now, I like you. I, there, there are lots of wonderful things about you. I enjoy spending time with you, but if you set yourself up as God in your life, you are going to fail to live up to that standard. You can't bring around your own satisfaction, let alone your own salvation. We have been given freedom in Christ, but we are still pulled back by the temptations of this world, the temptation to try and take things into our own hands. And Paul characterizes that here in Galatians 5 as a fight against flesh. Uh, in Galatians 5, 16, 17, it says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. And many translations there say, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the sinful nature, the flesh, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. That sinful nature, that flesh, uh, Paul calls something out here, uh, that I think we all know to be true, is that there's a tug of war inside of us. There is a battle between the sinful desires of the flesh and the freedom of the spirit. And Paul admits himself, uh, especially in Romans, he kind of goes into it, how that exists within himself as well. And we aren't exempt from that. In fact, that tug of war existed within Jesus as well, right? Jesus was tempted, Jesus experienced the temptations common to man. This is a fight that exists inside of all of us. Uh, and that flesh, that sinful nature will always lead us towards legalism, towards empty religion, a list we can never achieve, like the, the story, the Greek story of Sisyphus. I don't know if you know the story of Sisyphus, this, this Greek man who is cursed to forever push a stone up a hill and will never make it to the top, and he does this for all eternity. That's a life with religion. We're pushing this stone that we can never get where it needs to go. It either leads us there, or it leads us to lawlessness. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. I'm in control. But either way, it's fruitless. Get it? Thinking back to that cow comic uh, from last week, uh, either way, you choose left or right, doesn't matter. It all leads us to the slaughterhouse. And Paul gives us a list, actually. He's kind of working through this. He's explaining it to the Galatians, and he gives the Galatians a list of, of the works of the flesh. 
And, and this is his list. I'll go through it quickly here. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, right? Any distortion or perversion of God's design for sex. Uh, idolatry. I got, I got to sub in a Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about idolatry there. Uh, our, our kids in our church just went through this. So I'm wondering if any of you kids who are in Sunday school, anyone can tell me what idolatry is. Does anyone remember? That's a, that's a couple weeks old by now, I think, for you guys. I'm putting you on the spot. Is that a hand, Simon? No, no, absolutely not a hand. Uh, idolatry is putting anything above God, saying that there is something in my life that is more important than God uh, for me. Sorcery and witchcraft. The heart, the heart of sorcery and witchcraft uh, is, is trying to control God, right? Trying to take things into our own hands and to do things that will make God or the world respond to us in the way that we want it to. Uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and envy, uh, conflicts with our neighbor that cause division and discord, right? Just verses earlier here in chapter 5, Paul reminds us of the greatest commandment. He says the entire law, in verse 14, is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And these things, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, these are things that go against that commandment for us, that don't show love to our neighbor. And the last, drunkenness and orgies, giving yourself over to desire or appetites in order to satisfy yourself in an unhealthy way. It's not just that you eat or drink, but you become gluttonous. It's not that you have conversations with people, it's that you become a gossip. It's, it's, it's an addiction where we can't get enough, where we overfeed, where, we become, where it becomes the thing that we're looking to for satisfaction instead of God. So these are the works of the flesh. Uh, and once again, it would be a mistake to go through this list and treat it like a report card. Well, I haven't done any orgies or witchcraft, so A plus, A plus there. Uh, and I only get angry sometimes, I'm pretty good, but envy, boy, I need to work on envy. D minus there. It's not the way that we're supposed to look at this list. It's also not the right thing to look at this list and to think about everyone else who falls into these categories. Boy, I can think of some people who are pretty jealous. Boy, I can think of some people uh, who are drunken. This, the, the, we're not supposed to start to think about others who fail to live up to this list. Paul is saying this list is representative of the tug of war that exists in all of our hearts. We have all tried in one way or another to plant our hearts in the soil of flesh and find that it leads to destruction. And then we come to the other side of this list, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And remember, Paul is not saying, do this all. Work harder at these things. He's saying, the more that we focus on Christ, the deeper we are in relationship with God, the more we are sensitive to the Spirit within us, the more we understand our true identity as sons and daughters of God, the more these things will be produced in our lives through the working of the Spirit within us. We talked just last week about how it's not just that we've been saved from 
something. It's not just that the judge has pardoned us of our wrongdoing. It's that we've been saved into something. Into a family relationship with God, our Abba, our Father. Freedom is a key word in the book of Galatians and it shows up over and over again. And freedom saves us from the despair of our sin and also from the pride of self-righteousness. It offers us a third way out of this cycle that we find ourselves in. We're saved into loving relationship with the true God who invites us into his family, who gives us a seat at the table and says, don't worry about this, I've got it. I've got you. And like we talked about last week, our understanding of our place in God's family totally transforms uh, how we think about things and how we think about this list. Maybe you can think about it like this. Erin just had her birthday on Friday. Uh, And the boys and I uh, spent some time during the week thinking about what it is that we would do on Friday, what we would do uh, for this party, what we would do to make things special for Aaron. We thought about what we should make for supper and maybe what mom would love to do with us and how she might like to spend her evening and what we could do to make that day exciting. Uh, Sebastian, by the way, who knows his mom very well, decided that whatever we did, it should be at home and it should involve cozy blankets. That was, that was the important list for him. But, but that planning that the boys did was not out of a sense of duty or obligation. She's our mom and I guess we have to do this now. Oh, what do we need to include? Okay, I guess we have to have a cake and presents and oh man, we're going to have to sing happy birthday and there's got to be some kind of game. And if we check all those boxes, then we fulfilled our responsibility for this birthday celebration. That, if I'm honest, is a little bit more how I approach birthdays. I was not much of a birthday guy uh, growing up, and they weren't that important to me, but Aaron loves birthdays, and our boys have caught that sickness. (laughs) And for them, they were so in love with Aaron, so excited about this, so in relationship with her, that none of this came out of a sense of obligation or, oh boy, here's a list that we have to check off in order to make sure that we've done all the right things, but it came out of a genuine excitement to go, here's a way that we can express how much it is that we love our mom. Here's a way that we can express the, the, the relationship that we have in a way that's going to be meaningful for mom. And in the same way here, the fruit of the Spirit aren't some set of obligations. Rather, as we get deeper and deeper into God's love for us, into the gospel, which Paul keeps reminding us of through this book, then the fruit is a natural outpouring. If we get too focused on the logistics of attempting to produce the fruit, how can we produce the fruit? How can we make sure that we're doing each of these things? Then what happens is we forget about the love of the one who actually produces it in us. Remember what I said earlier on in the sermon. I kind of breezed by it, but we need to get this. Paul's goal here isn't for us to learn new manners. It's for us to become new creations. It's not for us to learn new manners. It's for us to become new creations. And we don't do that by pulling out a spreadsheet or a calculator to see how good we are at following the rules. We do that by focusing on our Savior, by recognizing our place in his family, by trusting him to work within us by his Spirit. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch here to recognize that when Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, he's not just listing virtues. He's describing a person. 
And it's not you, it's not me, it's not some super Christian. He's describing the one who saved us. You say, I, I may not look perfect all the time, but you can look to Jesus, who is perfect and who has sent his Holy Spirit to produce these things in you. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. When you look at the list here, we can see Jesus reflected in all these things. And as we believe that this is who Jesus is, not just in general, but this is who Jesus is toward me, toward us, then that is what begins to free us to express this in our own lives. It would actually be a great devotional exercise this week. If you want to go a bit further with this, great devotional exercise this week to sit down at some point with this list, with the fruit of the Spirit, and to go through the list and spend some time with each of these words simply asking the question, how is it that I see this attribute reflected in the character of Jesus? How do I see this attribute shown in the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Where do I see it? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The greatest act of love in the history of mankind was Jesus sacrificing himself for us. And when we can believe that, if we can truly believe that, it leads us to become more loving to people around us. Joy. In spite of suffering, Jesus counted it all joy to go to the cross for us. Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the giver of peace. Patience. Jesus is patient with us. He walks with us. He saved us in spite of our failures. Kindness. Jesus not only healed and cast out demons, he consistently showed kindness towards the least of these. The children, the outcasts, and he does toward us too. Goodness. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us. Faithfulness. Jesus came to earth with a plan, endured hardship, but was faithful to the end to, in, to fulfill that plan. Gentleness, some of my favorite verses in scripture. Come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Self-control, Jesus was tempted as we were, but did not sin. He walked through the desert and through the night in Gethsemane and stayed steadfast through it all. Paul wraps up his thoughts here in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The tug of war isn't over. There will be a time when you have been fully sanctified and you have been made perfect and sinless, fully who you have, God has created you to be, and it's not going to happen while you're taking an oxygen. You can ask anybody in our church. You can talk to the toddlers. You can talk to the seniors. You can pull Frank aside and ask him. This is the sort of thing that we are going to be wrestling with our entire lives. For as long as we live on earth, we live in this in-between. The price has been paid. The war has been won. But the battle against our flesh still continues. So how do we do this? How do we walk by the Spirit? I have no three-step plan for you. There is no perfect exercise regime or devotional schedule or Bible reading plan that is going to get you there. Each of us has the Holy Spirit within us, and we need to be sensitive. We have to have soft hearts and open ears to where the Spirit is leading us. But the core of it is this. The fruit of the Spirit is not 
about trying to achieve something. The fruit of the Spirit is about knowing someone. And as we grow in relationship with Jesus, and as we step deeper and deeper into the gospel, and we declare our freedom from the shackles of sin and death, and we spend time with our Abba, our Father, it is out of that relationship that we can experience freedom and fruitfulness. Amen? Amen.